Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Engage for Success Radio, show number 276, How to Measure Engagement in Any Context. So today we're going to be talking about a new assessment tool which seeks to measure engagement in any context. So that's whether it's with customers, employees, communities, or anything else. So uh, that's particularly interesting uh, for me. Uh, I'm Jo Dodge, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage for Success core team. And the Engage for Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice. And we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private and third sectors. So if you go to our website, which is engagesuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom to join our newsletter list. And uh, all our social media links are there too. So my guest today is... Scott Gould, who's an engagement author and consultant and another returner to the show. So Scott's been with us before. So welcome again, Scott. Thank you, Joe. It's great to be here. You know, 276 is my favorite number. Oh, well, there you go. See, you just have to, have to be. <laughs> so um, the reason Scott's returned particularly is that uh, – Scott has created a new engagement assessment, and I'm on Scott's mailing list, and I took the assessment uh, and uh, got the results and was really interested to uh, explore that further, and as a result, got uh, in touch with Scott and invited him back onto the show so that we could discuss it. And, and Scott can tell us a bit about what he does, but one of the particularly interesting things um, here and with Scott, as, as is um, demonstrated by the title of the show, is that actually Scott's an expert in engagement sort of per se, not employee engagement as it is, but, you know, engagement in all different uh, shapes and forms, <laughs> which I'm sure you'll explain further, Scott. So, so tell us a bit more about who you are and, and what you do. Yes, yeah, so very succinctly, I'm a speaker, consultant, um, working uh, in engagement. I wrote a book about it, The Shape of Engagement, which was released last year. And I spend my time speaking at a range of very different conferences and consulting a range of very different clients, but all of them around this central process of getting more engagement around what they're doing. Um, and this is very pertinent to what you've just said, because my, my, kind of, my, my core belief, my core approach to engagement, unlike um, most other people who are working in the field, which isn't a criticism, it's just that they've niched down more, they've niched down more specifically. But my approach very much has been, and my work has been to understand engagement as a process, like you say, per se, in and of itself, um, rather than engagement within a particular context. Uh, and so uh, this tool, which we'll come on to, but the, you know, the idea of this tool is that it measures engagement irrespective of context. Um, and that way, I'm trying to really see what is the psychological process of engagement that's going on. Um, what is the phenomenon here? So um, anyone listening might, you know, might uh, identify with me that I've got stacks of academic papers that I'm chugging through um, and tons and tons of different books, of, books on engagement, um, you know, all sorts of different types of engagement contexts. 
Um, but trying to find out what's the unifying principle here around this wonderful word that we have, which is engagement. Lovely. So perhaps before we talk specifically about the fact that you decided to create the assessment, um, or maybe it will lead into it, tell us a bit more about what those principles are that, that apply across all engagement situations, whether it's in employee or elsewhere. What, what, what are the sort of commonalities and how can you then so, focus on engagement without needing to, to specialise, if you like? Yeah, certainly. So I think, first of all, specialising in a particular engagement context is definitely the best way to add value there. So I'm not against that. In fact, I probably just need to hurry up and get on and do that. But I've been, I've been so <laughs> fascinated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, terrible business sense, really, ultimately. But I've been so fascinated by this thing that that we can talk about employee engagement or customer engagement or user engagement or parent engagement, or we can talk about engaging people around um, a toddler class, or we can talk about engaging customers towards a brand, or we could talk about somebody really being engaged in their work, or we can talk about two people being engaged in their relationship or their marriage. And what we're talking about here is this same psychological mechanism that's going on. That fascinates me to an endless degree. And so that's what it is that I've been trying to unpick. And all the academic research across these different contexts, which there is a, a massive amount, um, but it's always looked at within different contexts. So you've got the employee engagement lot. They look at engagement within their context. They use their language. You've then got the work engagement people, which is a slightly different way of looking at it. They've got their language. Then you've got customer engagement people. They look at it again, and then brand engagement, and so on and so forth. But what all of them are describing are the same principles that I intuitively kind of came across throughout my career. And so all of us are saying the same thing, regardless of the context. And I wanted to flesh that out more specifically. And so that's what my book and now this assessment is endeavoring to do, uh, is understand engagement and analyze engagement at a meta level, um, rather than looking at it within a micro or meso level. Mm -hmm. Okay. And as a result of all of that, you created this assessment. So, um, why did you think it was important to do that? Uh, and, and how is it different from, from other assessments that other companies are using? You know, as you asked that, I realized I didn't actually properly answer your question just now, which I apologize for, because <laughs> you asked me for what the principles were, and I just kind of got caught up. So sorry about that. But I, I will circle back around for that when I share the results, definitely. Um, so that that's terrible. Um, what a bad, bad interviewee I am. Um, what, so what I'm trying to do with this assessment um, is, I mean, there are some great assessments out there, but what I found they all were, were context specific. And I wanted to be able to, as per my theory and my hypothesis, measure engagement at a meta level and look at the main overarching principles of engagement and then customize the questions to the context, but have the questions driving off of a single matrix that can work for any form of engagement. And that's really what I wanted to do. Um, and so that's what I, I, I created, really. Um, it, it started off just me playing a game with myself, which was if I was to ask a question that anyone could answer, regardless of what engagement they were working with, but that question would be meaningful 
in its in the answer that they came across, what would that be? And I played around with it until I came up with mm. 12. And then I tried to, you know, I had more, I had less, I played around with it, but eventually I settled upon 12. And so that, that's essentially why I'm doing it. So in many ways, it's actually a bit of a research tool. And of course, I'm sure that, you know, you and other listeners would appreciate that it does also provide me with some, um, you know, leads and things like that as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm intrigued um, that it's only 12 questions, particularly given I did answer them and I got my results back and actually found a lot of um, sort of truth in what you sent back to me when I sort of applied it to my business. And so I wasn't thinking about employee engagement. I was thinking about engagement with my audience and my customers. So I was already using a different uh, area of engagement to to my specialism. Um, Yes. And, and, you know, and it, and it worked for me, I guess uh, what I haven't explored further is if I had employees and I was therefore getting them to fill it in, whether the same thing would have happened, but clearly that's what you're saying. So tell us more about these, these, these principles and, and how you managed to, to, to make it work with only 12 questions. That just sounds <laughs> such a simple questionnaire to me, but I, as I say, it was, yeah. it was insightful. Yeah, um, I mean, first of all, I'm really glad to hear that the results were mildly ballpark accurate, which, of course, is a great encouragement. Um, the, the, so, um, the, sorry, let me, I'm just getting my thoughts here because there's so much that we could talk about. Um, so the, the questions have, have arisen from what are the three core processes that drive engagement? Um, the first process I mean, I've got my snazzy name for it, but leaving the sna- my snazzy terminology aside, the first process of engagement is communication. You just can't get away from it. Everything begins with communicating something. And if we think about what makes for engaging communication, there are a few principles of what would be engaging communication. So there's something there about the regularity of it. Um, and of course, that is a very subjective question to ask because the regularity of one company were different from the regularity of another, but it's regular enough that your audience knows that you're there. And then you've got other things like how memorable might that communication be? The second process of engagement, which again, you can't get away from is when people respond to that communication, what's that experience of responding like, and how do you make that response, not just, Um, something digital but how can you make it a real world encounter Um, so if we think about um, you know you hear a band on the radio that's the communication the experience part is you deciding to go along and see them live right Um, so that's really really important is the experience and when we think about you know the big push at the moment towards customer experience or employee experience uh, you know this is all or user experience even all of this is nodding towards this very emotional, physical element. Uh, The third process of engagement is the one that's generally um, done the least, um, and and it's not as intuitively obvious as the other two. But this is more around the long-term resource that you create from an experience that kind of lives in people. And the more that that thing can live in people, the better. So again, if we take the idea of a band, um, communication is you hear the band, um, experiences you're going to see the band live but this kind of idea of like the asset or the platform or the resource is 
the band's songs become meaningful for you and you find yourself humming them or singing them down the corridor, um, you know, while you're at work or something. And so you kind of got these kind of three different types of engagement. And these are born up in literature. Literature discusses these three types. It gives them different names. So some people talk about this as um, cognitive engagement, um, behavioral engagement and effective engagement. Some will talk about engagement of the mind, engagement of the body and engagement of the soul. Um, there's all these different ideas, but these run constant throughout any engagement uh, literature. Uh, in fact, even just yesterday, started reading another book from 2009 um, uh, by Brand Keys, which is a brand, you know, brand engagement book. And they say there are only four ways to engage. And they mention the three that I've just done and then one, which is a slight spin off off of number one. So again, you see those three principles coming up again very, very clearly. So what I did was try to find questions that would tie into those three processes that would be generic enough that they would work for whether you're asking it about a brand or a customer or an employee or a bit of work or a user using an app or whatever it might be. So that's really what's driving it is these three processes have a set of questions each. Yeah, cool. And so, um, so you, you've put that together so that across all the different contexts, and you've obviously started to get people to complete the questionnaire. Uh, I think you've, you've said you've had 100 people do the assessment. Yeah. How, how has that been split around the, the different types of examples? So mine was obviously with yeah. customers and audience. It wasn't employees. You know, how, well, how was that split for you? Yeah, so I mean, I love the fact, first of all, that, you know, and you mentioned it, that you know, you here you are as someone who works in employee engagement and you've immediately answered it as someone who's thinking about audience engagement, right? Is it just, again, it's showing yeah. the fact that engagement is such a diverse concept. Um, in fact, when I do keynote speaking, which I, you know, I do I, every week, I'm somewhere generally, at the beginning, I, I kind of have like a quick quiz and I say, what type of engagement do you want? And I've got a picture of someone with an engagement ring. And then I've got a picture of um, a toilet where the, it's been locked and on the toilet door it says engaged, right? Um, and, yeah, and, mm -hmm. and, yeah, and then you've got, you know, s someone with like their thumb up for Facebook. And then I've got a picture of a bunch of Star Wars fans, um, you know, wielding their lightsabers. And I say, what type of engagement do you want? And of course, people always vote for the Star Wars level of engagement. And that type of engagement, as, fa as fascinated as those people are about Star Wars, that's the same type of engagement that, look that we're looking for that somebody feels about their work or that somebody feels about the app that they're using, or somebody feels about the community that they're a part of, or somebody feels about the relationship that they're in. So all of us are trying to get to this same state of being, for want of a better word, in love with something. We just, we split it into mm. these different contexts. So the answers that I've got, generally, I mean, the biggest contexts have been um, employee engagement, um, customer engagement, and audience engagement. And then a bit smaller has been community engagement and stakeholder engagement. Um, and then um, smaller again has been like user engagement, team engagement, which for me is different to employee engagement. Um, and then I've got like a good generic people engagement category. Um, but that also probably is representative of the people that have come across my blog. So um, a fair few people that have done it are business continuity experts because I spoke at the uh, Business Continuity Institute conference um, two weeks ago, and a lot of them were answering it with stakeholder engagement in mind, for instance. So, you know, at the moment, the data is fairly, um, you know, it's still fairly kind of nascent. But the trends that I've found 
um, uphold for no matter what the context is, which for me, again, is evidence. Uh, well, I, I, would, I wouldn't say strong evidence, but it is certainly some kind of ind- indicative evidence around um, you know, these concepts. There is a sense of unity about them. Yes, yeah. So how does the assessment show the sort of strengths and weaknesses and, and deliver that information back, particularly given you're doing that to uh, people or giving that to people who are in such different places and responding for different purposes? Yeah, so just, at the moment... It just feels I mean, like mo- it's so complicated to have, to have sort of put that together with like so many different potential perspectives and ended up with one thing with like we said 12 questions and you know a response from that it's just it's it's really interesting to see you know how that (laughs) that has happened yeah Yeah, i mean it has been pretty darn difficult and it's not finished as well and sometimes i I'll, i'll confess with you i'm not sure about this i've had one or two people say to me these questions are really hard to understand um I don't generally get that, but I've had a few times people have said that, whereas other people have said I got everything about it. But a couple of people have said they found it hard to understand. So what I did was I, I had these questions. And um, what's kind of clever about it is each question that's asked relates to one of two of those, uh, relates to two out of those three engagement processes. So each question is kind of like working double. Um, and so those questions are looking at communication, they're looking at the experience, or they're looking at a platform, they're looking at two of those at any one time. Um, and the questions are written in such a way that I kind of wrote them with the word people. So for instance, question one is how often do you interact with the people that you want to engage with you? And then if someone at the beginning of the, at the, beginning of the assessment asks you, do you want to do this for employees or customers or whatever? So you would select, say, customers. So the question would now change and it would be how often do you interact with the customers that you want to engage with you? Whereas if you changed it mm-hmm. to, let's say, people, I mean, uh, employees, it would say how often do you interact with the employees that you want to engage with you? So all it does right. is change yeah. the word yeah. people and switch it to customer or employee or stakeholder or prospect or team member or community member and so on. Um, now, there are times mm-hmm. when that does get a little – there are times when, like I've said, a few people have said that doesn't quite make sense. So the next level for me would be to make it that when you select your context, it customizes the question maybe even a bit more, even a bit more clearly, or perhaps it gives some examples. So it does need to get better. But at a basic level, I think it is working. Um, and, and the results are also accurate enough, which is really great. So what it does is it, it scores you based on those three processes. Um, it gives you a, yep. a score for how good your communication is, a score for how good the kind of experiential element is, and a score for how good the kind of long-term asset, um, the kind of you know, the sense of meaning and empowerment of it is. Um, it gives you those. So, and then mm-hmm. what it does is it will tell you which is the lowest. Um, and based on the lowest, that's the one that you want to rise up and you want to get to be better. Um, but I'm a strengths-based person. I always like to think about how am I working to strengths. So what it also does is it also works out what your strength is and it uses and then it so it uses the strength to then try and build up your weakness. So what it would do is you've got twelve questions that gives you scores on those three different um, processes. But the twelve questions also relate to another index, which is there are six psychological levels of engagement. Um, that's my model, but it's also um, 
an amalgamation of other models that I found that look that generally speak to five or six levels of engagement. Um, and these are kind of psychological states that we go through. And what um, and the 12 questions, each question is one of a pair. So there are six pairs. Each pair relates to one of the levels of engagement. And so what it can also do is it works out which is your strongest level of engagement that you seem to be working at. So what the mm -hmm. test then does is it goes, okay, you're strongest at, say, level five of engagement out of, out of six. You're weak at the process around events. So let's – and then what it does is it creates a custom statement that's that, like a little script, and the script basically tells you what we want you to do is – do more of the events process around the thing that you're strongest at, which is level five. And so therefore it's giving mm -hmm. you a strengths-based way to improve your engagement overall, which is pretty cool, I think. Lovely. Um, I have to say, when I actually say it back cool. to myself, I go, you know what, that is quite cool. <laughs> and yes, and that's exactly what my re report says. So I don't know if you're looking at mine or if you just came up with that off the top of your head, but that's... <laughs> It's reflective of what I'm looking at as we speak. So, um, oh, so you're so I just think more, it's so of, more of yeah, more of process two yeah. around level five. Yeah, yes, yeah. Exactly. You know what? That actually is <laughs> that that is. So this is what's interesting. That's my one, and that's the most common for, right. for people who are who are independents. Right. So independent consultants. Yeah. That's the yeah. most common one. It regularly comes up. So what that right. translates to in real language is people like you and I, and probably you know a fair few people who are listening, is you your strength is level five engagement. Level five engagement is around integration. It's 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 very very high, and it's when people take what you do and integrate it and apply it into their lives. And typically consultants are very good at applying, at giving people tools that they can apply and use and make everyday use of. That's a very engaging thing mm. to have. The thing that we're not very good at, though, generally, is creating those opportunities for people to experience what we do firsthand. Generally, that only happens yeah. when we have a client. And even then, it mm -hmm. might be remote. And the thing that I advocate for, in fact, I've been speaking about for, you know, uh, a year now, on, on the, on, over a year on the, on, the, on the kind of circuit around Europe, has been that physical experiences that's when your senses are the most open, where things are most likely to be remembered, where you are able to be engaged at the highest level in terms of valence and in terms of intensity. Uh, and so that's where you really mm -hmm. want to be. That's what you want to create if you really want your ideas to spread. Um, and the analog to, let's say, anything to a popular idea would be that's why bands tour is bands tour, because those mm -hmm. um, co those concerts are where people get super engaged build those powerful memories, and then become very powerful assets. The other thing is you can't get somebody to engage at the higher levels of engagement unless they go through that experience. Um, it's just absolutely yeah. critical. And, and now literature realizes that because so much is being said about employee experience. Um, you know, as people are recognizing, mm. actually, you've got to have this environment that is um, sensorially rich, and then you can use that to add more stuff in later on. Um, it's not it's not the end, mm. but it is the doorway to that to those higher levels. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting to to connect the two because, as you said, there's a lot of conversation about that. So, 
So what are the implications of this and results for organisations and, and engagement? Because we've just, as you said, there's some consistency there on, on you know, in, independent consultants and the types of um, uh, results that are coming out from this. What, what, what have you seen for organisations and how can this help them? Right, well, so I'll give you the, um, I mean, out of 100 respondents, the average percent that people get is 60 um, so just over halfway mm-hmm. in terms of scoring. I mean, I, I'm, I'm unable to really benchmark this much yet, but in terms of the questions I'm asking, which are on a five-point Likert scale for any statistic geeks in the crowd, um, we're, we're at 60%, which <laughs> means, we're, you know, generally people find themselves in, you know, ju- you know just above halfway, just above the median. Um, people generally are score the average scoring for the communications part, and I call this scatter um, is 63%. That's the highest. The experiential process, which I call the gathering process, that's at 57. And then the final one, which is kind of like the asset or the platform, that comes out at 60. So what that is saying is that people generally are better at communicating in an outbound way. And generally, they're also quite good at empowering people. But where they're weak is this middle part of creating an experience that really can engage people and give the um, it create the emotional environment for stuff to be really meaningful to them. And I think that's a really, really important thing for us to take away is actually, okay, there's something missing here about how experiential we are in our approach towards engagement. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about sort of what that looks like to organizations in sort of real time. And I wonder sometimes with, with a lot of this stuff, um, that you know, we we know the theory. We know we should be doing X, Y, and Z. But quite often, the job gets in the way of behaving in a certain way. Right, you know, so, we, we have all these great intentions, and then we have to get the job done. <laughs> and I wonder if that is reflected right. that. Yeah. Well, so, well. So it goes even deeper. Um, that actually, so the the I mentioned that there are these six levels that I'm measuring as well. And when it comes to the six levels, the two levels that are the lowest are the levels that relate to that experiential process. They are, they are low for what I call the act level of engagement, which is when people can have an experience with you and they can actually perform the action. But they're, lower, they're even lower for the identifying portion of experience. So let me just rephrase it. I talk very much about, I call this a gather stage because I say that when you want people to engage with you, it's very important that you gather them not just to you, but to each other. Um, This idea of the social connection is so critically important. That's what makes a concert so cool is the social connection. And there's loads and loads and loads of theories out there and principles and psychological phenomena about the power of being with people to reinforce how engaged you are by the agent of engagement. Um, and what I've discovered is you've got people are scoring an average of 53% on that, but they're scoring an average of 65% for their outbound communication. So there is, a, there is over 10%, there's 12% difference between how good people are at communicating versus how they, it seems to be, struggle at the peer-to-peer engagement part. So here's an example. Like I said, I was recently at the Business Continuity Institute, and I said to them, when you do training, very often that training is experiential, and it might be a very good webinar, but you'll do it, that person does the webinar by themselves, and it's between them and their company. 
or they do the training, it's between them and their company. But what engages us more and what makes something more memorable is when we are aware of the others that are doing it with us. Because that then creates greater oxytocin and that aids memory um, and it also opens our brain up to receive more ideas. And it also just generally creates this sense of, oh, I'm not the only one. There are other people here. I often tell the story that when I was a church minister, the way that I grew the church was I made it that if someone new came along, my goal was that two people would have a conversation with them at the end of the service because I knew that if they made two friends, they were more likely to stay than if they had none or if they just had one. Mm. So it's this idea of creating kind of like triangular relationships where you're connecting people not just to you but also to each other. And Seth Godin wrote, this, wrote about this 10 years ago in his book Tribes, which I think is 2008. He says the strength of a tribe is determined by how strong the connection is with the leader but also with the peers. And increasingly what people are good at is creating connection with the leader. They're not good at creating connection mm. with the peers. And that's mm. what religion does really, really well. That's what great companies do. And they recognize this. One of the main things for staying at work is I have a friend at work. I have colleagues at work. The Gallup survey, um, which is the leading, you know, the Q mm. Q12 is the leading employee engagement survey, talks about do I have friends at work? That's one of the main things that are being asked. And this is where people are mm. faltering, it seems, actually. Uh, which I think is a very fascinating mm. insight. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the reasons why the Engage Success movement is continuing to grow, because we are all about connecting each other with each other. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Nice finish to the show. <laughs> so thank yeah. you, Scott. It's been it, it, fascinating. Uh, <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me. You're welcome. So we'll get Scott on again because uh, I've got more questions. So uh, we'll, we'll get you back another day. <laughs> so um, just to let you know that uh, next week, Jo Moffat is back and she's going to be talking to Siobhan McEwen. And they're going to be talking about the particular issues around engaging remote workers. Uh, so Siobhan's wrote, written a book about that recently and is a remote worker herself, as well as a people director for Human Made. So we'll look forward to catching you next week. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.